We're glad to have you at every Fresh Life location, church online. Uh, if you have a Bible, Jeremiah chapter 29, and we're in the midst of this amazing celebration of thousands and thousands of hours being served in community service. We're, we're celebrating a million and a half dollars going out, outreach dollars, so very exciting. And we want to bring all of that energy with us into our time studying God's word as we kind of speak about the subject of how to influence a city, how to influence a city. And Jeremiah 29 is the perfect place for this subject because that's what we see on God's heart. A little context as we jump in. Um, there's this nation called Israel, and it all came from this guy named Abraham. Abraham's the father of faith, and, and we look to him, of course, as an example of how to approach God through faith. But he was really the beginning of this just Jewish nation, Israel. Uh, and uh, they were promised to be given a land, the land of Canaan, and out of that land, they would become this massive people, and out of this great people that God would bless as they trusted him would come a savior, a Messiah, who would come to cure what's been ailing mankind ever since the Garden of Eden, where we lost our connection to God through sin. And uh, after Adam and Eve were banished from the Garden of Eden, we've been looking for and longing to be reconnected to God ever since. And the cure for all of this, the, the solution was going to be a savior named Jesus. And so that's, that's what you have in the story of the Jewish people. Well, their living in the land was conditional upon their following God's uh, plan for their life. The ownership of the land was unconditional. It would always be theirs, an everlasting possession uh, that God promised to David. There will always be this, this promise of this land, but they would not always get to occupy it. They would not always get to enjoy it unless they were walking with God. Now, there's a, a, a parallel to our relationship with God. If you've trusted Christ by faith, then Every promise in Scripture is in him, yes, and in him, amen. You've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. You've been given all the power of the Holy Spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead. So it's an amazing thing. But your enjoyment of those things, your appropriation of those things, is conditional upon you walking in that relationship with Jesus Christ. You're saved by faith, but only as you walk in relationship, in unity with Jesus, abiding in the vine to bear much fruit, as Jesus would use the language in John 15, are you going to get the benefit of what's yours? It's always yours. You just won't get to enjoy what's yours unless you walk with Jesus. And so what happened was the Jews, they were in this land, and it was great trouble to get them there. And we're talking of the parting of the Red Sea and flies and blood and lice and all these issues that happened to get. It was a great problem to get them in there. And it took them 40 years. It was only supposed to take them 40 days. It took them 40 years to get in there. A whole generation perished in the world. So they finally get in. Now you have it. This, this, this land, it's got that new land smell. I mean, there's milk that's flowing. There's honey that's flowing. I don't even know what that looks like. It's like a Willy Wonka type of a situation. But here they are. They're in it. And what do they do? Almost immediately. I mean, they, they start turning their backs on God. They start drifting. I mean, it goes pretty good for David, but then after Solomon, I mean, it really, it really nosedives quickly. And, and they start to want to become like the other people that surrounded them that did not follow God. These other nations that God said, be different from them, be distinct. You're a peculiar people. You're different people. And, but they wanted to be like the other people, to worship their gods. They began to drift. And most significantly, they stopped honoring God in a few specific ways, one of which was the observing of the Sabbath. 
not only a day off once a week to rest for the soul, to restore, to be renewed, to remember that God is in control and that we are to honor and worship him, but also once uh, every seven years, they were to take the seventh year off and to let the land rest. And it was a statement of faith because if you're going to take a whole year off of, of harvesting the land, you're saying, God, we believe that you're so good that what we get out of the six years is going to be enough to provide for the, full, the seventh year as well. And that, that we can say we're going to trust you. We're going to say that we're going to believe you're going to provide for us, that it's not dependent upon our own strength and energy and resourcefulness. Well, they didn't do this. For, for how long? Almost 500 years. For 490 years, they did not give that seventh year the land a chance to catch its breath and to replenish itself, really saying we need to trust ourselves. We need to trust in our resources, kind of like we would if we would rush into a day without first pausing to pray. If we'd rush into a day without first pausing to say, I need to let God give me something to speak to me. If we'd rush into a new week without first pausing to gather together and worship with God's people. If we would first rush into paying our bills without first saying, I want to honor you, God, with my first and my best to put into your kingdom, right? We would do so because we would say, well, I don't see a way I can meet my needs if I don't give every minute of my day to my email and my business and my, my, my money needs to go to this, this, this. We're saying I need to do it on my own. But here's what I found. I found that 90% of my day with God's help is better than 100% of my day without it. I found that 90% of my money goes further than 100% of it without knowing I have God's strength and God's blessing. That, that statement of faith, it just, it, it puts everything right. And I'm a better version of me to approach my day, but, but they, didn't, they didn't listen. So God warned them again and again and again. He kept raising up these prophets, and they kept calling them out on all this, saying, like, turn back to God, honor God. All these prophets, they, they did this. But Israel was like, no, they wouldn't hear it. They were like, la, la, la. They were like, we're a nonprofit organization. They didn't not. That was funnier than you responded. <laughs> they did not want to be, I'm a dad. What do you want? So they refused to listen. So God said, look, I'm going to raise up. I'm going to raise up enemies, and I'm going to allow them to take you into captivity. And Israel's like, oh, God wouldn't do that. You know, the land's an everlasting possession. Yeah, but not their occupation of it. Ownership and, and appropriation are two very different things. And, and so God warned them. He said, you're not that strong on the battlefield, David. Goliath, in your own strength, is going to take you out. They, oh, no, we're so strong. You know, they, they started to believe their own press clippings and, and uh, were a little bit puffed up and feeling their oats and pants were getting a little tight, heads were getting a little big. And, and so God, God lowered the force field. Right, to use some Star Wars language. God took out the force field, said, let's see what you, what, how you really do. And the Babylonians swooped in and, and, and were able to overcome them in battle. And, uh, and, 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 and then Babylon would leave. But Israel, Israel was stubborn and refused to, uh, to, to, to kowtow, refused to uh, honor the Babylonian uh, king Nebuchadnezzar. And so the Babylonians had this method of, of dealing with troublesome people who refused to be occupied. And what they would do is they would take the best and the brightest they would take the intellectuals, they would take the professionals, they would take the, the, the educated, they would take the cream of the crop of the society and put them in chains and take them to Babylon, and they would employ the best of them. <laughs> give them lush gigs in the palace and, and put them into, into high uh, government official positions and, and they, would, they, would, they would force them to live there in Babylon but treat them very well. And the, it was brilliant because where the leaders go, the people eventually are going to follow. And the idea was give it a generation or two and they will be completely assimilated, completely absorbed, and the nation will be no more. It's proved incredibly effective. Let me, let me, let me, let me show it to you. How many Philistines do you know? <laughs> like, yeah, you know, now that I think about it, there's, there's very few. Yeah, there, there's no Philistines. 
Like, like how many Gergesites do you know? Like these, all the Amalekites do you know? Like all these people from the Bible, in, in formation, so how many Babylonians do you know, right? Eventually they get absorbed into a larger civilization, be it Greek or whatever, a new melting pot comes around, everything else eventually gets melted into it and it's very difficult over time to retain uh, a national identity, especially when you don't have a nation anymore to call your own, at least one that you're living in. Well, so that's what was happening, and uh, eventually, not only the best and the brightest, but they actually, there was two different captivities, and uh, they basically took almost everybody from, from Israel, and they dragged them in chains away to Babylon, and this was the plan. Once they were there, okay, now be a part of society here, and, uh, and do so however you want. But the Israelites were so paranoid, they were aware that this was the Babylonian strategy that was uh, a, pl- a play here, and so what they did was they, they hung out uh, by the river Kibar, uh, this canal outside of town. They stayed outside of the city limits, and they sort of developed a refugee camp situation. And there, their their absolute goal and plan was to hang on to Israelite national identity and their culture, not let any of those things be taken away from them. Do not be assimilated. They do not trust anything Babylonian. And so they sort of had this little enclave happening, and uh, they believed, their hope was they were going to go back to Israel very quickly. And these false prophets rose up, and they were actually prophesying, oh, we're going back soon. We're going, don't unpack your suitcases. We are going home. We are going, going back, back to Israel, Israel, Israel. The spirit of Biggie Smalls has come upon me. So that's, that's what is going to happen. So that was what they believed. And at that point, now we're caught up, Jeremiah chapter 29, God rose up this, this prophet named Jeremiah, who's going to tell them basically two things. Good news, bad news. Good news is you are going home. Bad news is it's going to be 70 years because you didn't give the land its break for 490 So that means you owe the land 70 years rest. So yeah, you're going to go home. God's going to be faithful. It's just going to be your great-grandchildren. Like if you you can go home, you're just going to be on cryo. It's going to be like Walt Disney that we drag you. That was was also funnier than you (laughs) responded. They're they're going nuts in Bozeman though. Okay, so here we are. Um, uh, Jeremiah 29, thus says the Lord, this is verse 4, of hosts, the God of Israel, to all who were carried away captive whom I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem to Babylon. Now, if you look back at verse 1 of Jeremiah 29, it says Nebuchadnezzar carried them away. But God's saying, I actually let this happen. God's claiming it. God's owning it. It was Nebuchadnezzar who did it, but I allowed it to happen. Verse 5. Now, here's your instruction. Here's what to do now in Babylon. Build houses and dwell in them. Plant gardens and eat their fruit. Take wives and beget sons and daughters, and take wives for your sons. This part's not inspired of the Lord. Give your daughters to husbands. I refuse to uh, acknowledge that part. Everything else is fine, but that verse is not. It's just, it was added later. So that they may bear sons and daughters, that you may be increased there and not diminished, and seek the peace of the city where I have caused you to be carried away captive and pray to the Lord for it. Don't miss this part. For in its peace, you will have peace. I'm going to pray and I'm going to preach a message to you. I'm calling the things that make for peace. Father, we ask now that you would speak to us through your word. Thank you so much for this moment where we can gather together and we can be still. 
and we can listen. Listen to hear the sound of your voice. And just like after we're in a dark cave for a while or a dark room for a while, our eyes eventually adjust and we start to see more than we could see at first. I pray that would happen with our hearing. That as we are still for a little bit, our hearing would grow more attuned to what you're speaking. That we would have ears to hear what you're saying to us. I pray you draw people to yourself, those who don't know you through your spirit. We pray for hope to rise, for salvation, pray for healing. We pray for you to be present and to have your will done here in this moment. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, it's possible, I have found, to be looking for something that's right in front of you. And my wife lets me know about this every time I'm searching for my keys, and she tells me, yes, they're in your hand. <laughs> that makes so much sense. Who's ever been there, though, right? Honesty in God's house. All the rest of you with your hands down are probably women. Um, <laughs> Because that's like a thing a man would do, right? Where's my glasses? I can't, I can't leave without my glasses. She's like, honey, they're hanging from your shirt, right? I, I now have these little devices. They're called a tile. This is not a paid endorsement. Uh, but they, uh, they're little pieces of electronic hardware that can go on a keychain, can go in your wallet. And then from any mobile device, you can, you can make them vibrate and ring. It's the sound of shame, though, because whenever it goes off, my, my kids know I've lost something. And there it is, right where I left it. And um, man, if I could get one for my sunglasses, I would get it. All right, if I could get, I, I put in my shoes. I mean, it's just like, it's really embarrassing how often I'm losing things and leaving things. And, and oftentimes it's right there. I'm like, how did I not see that? I must have looked right there 15 times. And my eyes start to cross. And <laughs> according to Jesus, the same thing is possible when it comes to peace. In fact, that's exactly what he said one time. It was during the triumphal entry when he rode into Jerusalem on the donkey and he wept over the city because even though there were a select few that celebrated him on the parade route, were throwing ticker tape, were waving palm fronds and crying out Hosanna, right? But th those same people he knew in just a few short days were going to be the same people crying out, crucify him, crucify him. The point is, if you live by the popularity of the people, you will die by it. And uh, Jesus knew to look to God. And, and by and large, Israel, the nation that had been prepared specifically to bring a Messiah into the world, when he finally came, they weren't ready for him. The bat signal was not turned on. And uh, he was the Messiah they needed, but he wasn't the Messiah they wanted. He came to deal with the issues that were causing the symptoms in their life. They just wanted some cough syrup. They just wanted him to take away the symptom but not deal with the deeper disease inside their rotted souls. And so he wept over the city as he approached it and uh, basically saying, had you received me, and the, the things would have been different. But, but notice this. He says in verse 42 of Luke 19, he says, if you had known even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. What you say you're looking for, hello, it's me. Everything written beforehand, it was all about me. And I'm finally here, but you have rejected me. You don't want anything to do with what can actually bring about the peace that you're craving, the things that make for peace. You know, they say that there's not actually a big enough English word to describe the Israel-Hebrew idea and understanding of peace. Because when we say peace or peace out, right, really what we mean in American culture is just the absence of war. When there is peace, it just means there's not war happening. But that is, that is like the first 10% of the Hebrew understanding of peace. 
The word that is shalom is so robust and so total and so full. It speaks of a thriving, inward, flourishing, a total wholeness and wellness that starts on the inside and overflows to the outside. It incorporates prosperity on every possible level. Shalom, peace. And that is what the Israelites by the river Kibar were looking for and hoping for. They were feeling like their peace had been taken from them when they were plucked from their homes, plucked from the land flowing with milk and honey, and they now had no context. They now had no purpose. They now didn't see how any of God's promises could come to pass. And so they wanted peace back, and they knew exactly how it needed to happen. They needed to be allowed to go back to Israel. If they could go back to Israel, if they could go back, literally Jerusalem, is, this name is the city of peace, Jeru city, Salem, Shalom the city of peace. Their thought was, if I could get back to the city of peace, I would get peace back for my soul. But God wanted to bring them peace in an unlikely way, not by them going back to the city of peace, but by them bringing peace to the city they were in. He said, it's time to bless Babylon. It's time, if you can't be in the city you wish you were in, the city of peace, then bring peace to the city where you currently reside. Don't look to some other place. Don't look over the fence to hope for greener grass to all of a sudden be ported into your life. Water the grass where you're at. That's what he was saying in verse 7. In verse 7, he says, bring peace to Babylon. Pray for it. Seek it. Fight for it. For in its peace, you will have peace. What he told them, I've preached it before this way. He said, you got to beautify your Babylon. Yeah, one day you're getting back to Jerusalem, but it's not happening for 70 years. So you could spend your next 70 years moping around. You could spend your next 70 years just crying about the, the milk that you spilled. Or you could get to work and beautify this place where it's at. You could actually do something good for this city. And when you do that, guess what? You will experience what you wanted for. Because the blessing that I'm pouring out over Jerusalem, it had nothing actually to do with the city. It has everything to do with me. And I'm here with you in Babylon too. No, you never should have come here. But I'm so good. I'll bless you in places where you never even should have gone. That's our Savior. Because Jerusalem might be the city of peace. But Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And he'll bring peace to your life and he'll bring peace to your marriage, and he'll bring peace to your business, and he'll bring peace to your city if you get hip to what he's doing, and that's being a blessing where it doesn't deserve it, and it's blessing you even though you don't deserve it, and it's helping you to be a giver of peace, not just a consumer of it. In its peace, this broken place, you'll have peace. What is it going to take? It's going to take you praying for a people who are your enemies. Who does that sound like? Sounds like Jesus' MO. He said in verse 7, look at it one more time, pray for this city. Now, I bet you they choked when they read this from Jeremiah. You mean these people who defeated us militarily and then dragged, killed some of our friends, by the way, right, and dragged us here to live here apart from the promises of God and the land of God's people. This, I'm not going to pray for him. He said, pray for him. Seek its peace. Love them. Love these people. Love them and hope that they come to a place of total wholeness and total wellness, which can only happen within the context of this relationship with me that you're supposed to be walking out of. So Jeremiah told them how to go about doing it, too. It's amazing. A blueprint for bringing wholeness when you're living in exile. What does it look like? It looks like leaving the little enclave that you've set up for yourself, the fake little 
Jerusalem within Jerusalem inside of Babylon, leave that city, move into the, the Babylonian larger context, build a house. What's that going to take? It's going to take buying some land. It's going to take assembling the materials. It's going to take getting a job. He, he was very specific about planting gardens. He, he was specific about having a, a mentality of what the next generation was going to look like. So here, here, here's the point. They couldn't pretend they were still in Israel when they were not. They needed to learn how to live in exile. And this is so helpful for you and for me. You're like, really? Well, I mean, it sounds nice. I'll file it away if I ever am in a refugee-like situation. But I don't really see. Oh, you didn't know? The New Testament says every follower of Jesus is technically in exile, in exile right now. Uh, James 1.1, 1, 1, 1 Peter 1.1, 1, 1, uh, really ever since Genesis 3, we've been banished from God's presence. We're technically in exile. In fact, the dictionary definition of the word exile is someone who lives away from their native country. And scripture says that this world, this current system, this kingdom here of this world as it presently is, to a Jesus follower is not your home country anymore. Jesus said to Pilate, my followers would fight if they were of this kingdom, but my kingdom is not of this world. It's kingdoms of heaven. Now, if we want to spoil it, at the end of the Bible, heaven, God's kingdom, comes back to this earth and just as they once were, they are fused together, and this whole thing plays out into the sunset with a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells forever. But currently, as it is today, this world is not our home. We live here, but we're in exile because our kingdom is somewhere else. Our true home, our ultimate home is in heaven where we're going to live forever, and we're supposed to always remember that. Your technical status right now is this, and mine is this way as well, if we're Jesus followers, resident Alien. Resident alien. Now, alien is good because it reminds us we're going to live in heaven. That's how we should live. That's how we should think, how we approach all the situations and decisions and values of, what, of life and worship of life. It should be determined by our alien status. But what Jeremiah is speaking to is the resident status, how to reside here. And what he's telling them and what God would have you to know is the key to making a difference here is to view this as your current residence with your heart still set on the alien status of your future home. Yeah. So what does it look like to flourish in exile? What does it mean to approach life here now, even though you know it's not your ultimate home, but to make a home away from home out of it? Well, there are two approaches commonly taken by Jesus followers that are both a trap, that are both a mistake. Jot them down if you take notes in church. Uh, number one, mistake would be separation. And that's what the Jews were doing by the river Kibar, which is a good desire, not be assimilated and thus completely annihilated. So stay away from the icky Babylonian system and world. Ooh, cooties, don't let them touch us. That's how the Pharisees got started. This idea of we want to protect ourselves. We want to stay true to God. So we clamp down. But that, here's the mistake with that, which has been expressed in lots of different ways from Amish communities to monasteries. A good desire, stay holy, stay pure, but that retreats from a world that we're meant to reach. And almost always leads to legalism and thus death. So it's just now this man-made system, and it's, it's, it's trying to live like we're already in heaven. When we're not. We're resident aliens. We're going to live in our true home, our ultimate home eventually, but currently we reside here, and we're supposed to make a difference here. So if we choose separation, what we're saying to the world is, go to hell. 
And maybe if you grew up in a fundamentalist home or very ultra-religious home, this is, this is how you, you were raised. And you, here's some of the, 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 the telltale signs of the separation mentality. The word Christian is an adjective, not a noun. A Christian's a noun, meaning I'm a Christian. You're a Christian. If we're Jesus false, we are Christians. Only people can be Christians. But in a separation mentality, it becomes a type of music. It becomes a, a type of literature. It becomes a type of entertainment. Like you can only listen to Christian music. Like, wait, hold on a second. Is there Christian music? I mean, I realize there's worship we would sing in a, in a context of a congregation. There's worship music for the church. But can music be Christian? Answer, no, it can't. Because music doesn't have a soul. Music doesn't live forever. Jesus' blood wasn't shed to purchase music. Only people can be followers of Jesus, right? So there's good music and bad music, right? It's like, can Christians dance? We'll put some music on. We'll find out if you can dance. Some Christians can, some Christians can't. It's this legalistic thinking that reduces us to Christian music, Christian food. And one of our staff members a while back, they were good-hearted. They came to me and said, Pastor, can we put a, a gym in at, at the broadcast campus so some of the central staff can work out? And, and I said, yeah, that's a great idea. And they go, awesome. And I said, and if we play our cards right, none of us will ever have to touch any non-believers ever. Oh. Yeah, they reacted like you imagine they would. They're sad about that. <laughs> but I, you see, the church staff, we're at a decided disadvantage because our nine to five hours are spent around Christians. We don't do very well witnessing around the offices, right? The, the, the point is we need a context to engage with people who don't know Jesus so we can share the light, the hope, the life that we have with people. We shouldn't be looking for fewer arenas to be around non-believers, but more opportunities to go into the world, to move into the neighborhood, to move into the city, to build a house and get to know the people around us, to get to know the people we're working out amongst, and to, to, to be able to be in people's lives so we can point them to Jesus who has supposedly saved our souls. So separation, it's a mistake, it's a trap. And so is the other error on the other side. The devil doesn't care which side of the horse you fall off so long as you don't ride the horse. The other mistake is imitation. This is where you don't separate from the world. This is the complete other approach. Well, I don't want to do that. So we just go hog wild with the world, doing all the things that the world does, valuing the same things that the world values. And what, what happens, this is, a, this is a subtle drift, by the way, this one. This, this actually starts out with a good heart. I want to be around people. But, can, but quickly, uh, it, it often starts out with a sort of theological liberalism. Starting, you know what Jesus teaches, but it's moving away from those things. Well, maybe he means this. And, and then it becomes a moral liberalism. And this is nothing political. I'm talking about theological and moral liberalism. Start fudging some things. And, and, and listen, it's, it's great hearted to be, I'm going to be in the world and, and, and loving these people and be around them. But then, well, listen, it's very challenging to accurately tell people about the hope that's in Christ Jesus when you're pissed drunk. Like, it's just a really bad look. And so you're doing the same. You wanted to go out for a beer with a bro, but then when, when, when one turns to six beers, listen, it's very difficult now to be the salt and light when you're smashed and you can't pronounce salt and light, right? And so what, what, what happens is you sort of become like the world with a heart to reach the world, but then you have nothing to offer the world anymore. And when we're approaching sex and when we're approaching money and when we're approaching power the same way that the world approaches it, we're not accurately representing the kingdom like we're meant to do. And this is very easy moving into a big city, going off to a state university and being around the world. And it's a slow drift towards these things where you're now imitating the world and you're not, there's no distinguishing property. There's, there's no difference. 
an ambassador should get to know the community he lives in representing his home country and he should know the best restaurant and know the language and be bilingual and really like you could almost be like, wow, is this your home country? But there should be differences too in the values and, and there should always be, and that's, what the, that's why the tether is the church. The tether is the gathering together. The tether is the small group. If you're here every week worshiping God together with us across our church, and if each week you have a small group that you're going into, people are asking you those tough questions, and you're not going out alone. Jesus sent people out two by two, so there's a community aspect to it. There's a life aspect to it. You're loving people, and you're eating dinners, and you're hanging out, and like Christ, you're willing to be at parties, and you're not worried about guilt by association, but you have people in your life who are there to make sure you're not falling for the same vices that the city worships. And that you're not returning to the old way of life that Jesus Christ saved you from. So there's a tether there. But this is a tension because separation on the one hand, that's super easy. And so is imitation on the other hand. And what we need is that focus. What we need is that balance. What we need is that, that central thing where we're in the world, but we're not of the world. We're living in Babylon, not trying to pretend like we're already in heaven so we can be positioned to reach people. But we're also not getting so like the world that we're falling for the temptation, falling for the bait, that that's going to steal our effectiveness as we seek to follow Christ. So that's what we need is that right there down the middle. And that's so difficult to achieve. But what he pointed them to is what we can find power in as well as we seek to live well and flourish in exile. Got a couple quick notes as you seek to do those things that might be helpful that I hope you'll jot down as you approach your time on this earth in exile. Number one, work hard. Work hard. I think um, it's really easy, especially as millennials, to, to mistake difficulty with something being bad. Something that's hard, it, it must automatically be bad. It wasn't always that way. There was a day when generations were almost taught, like, nothing in life comes without the sweat of your brow, without the calluses of your hand. And it was almost like you didn't trust or you were suspicious of a free lunch. Now, we've done a complete 180. Millennials and younger, we're not only not suspicious of the free lunch, we want four of them, please. And we would actually like it our way, no pickles, right? And, 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 and we've kind of come around. And I try not to slam down on, on, on anyone because of the, the culture they were born in, because of the time in which they were born. I don't happen to believe any of us had the luxury of choosing when we would get to be born and what would, like, like people love to bash me, oh, they're so lazy and the blah, blah, blah. It's like, no one asked me would I like to be born with the internet. This is the life that I got. It's the only life I've ever known. So I'm not gonna ever bash you because you're a 60 or because you're, you're 15. But what I am gonna do is call you up to a higher level where at times what our age we've grown up in has not informed us properly. So here's, here, here's the biblical idea of a work ethic, that we would work hard and we would not mistake something being difficult for something being bad. In fact, Colossians 3 puts it this way. It says, and whatever you do. Someone say, whatever you do. In word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Whatever you do, we should approach any job, any endeavor, anything we do with the same intensity and passion and excellence that, that, that we would do so if we knew Jesus was standing right over our shoulder watching us. Now, how this does butt up to being 18 to 34, which is how they loosely define a millennial, is this. The New York Post says, millennials are serial job hoppers, walking away from any sort of commitment church, job, whatever, relationship, the moment their mood drops from ecstatic, I'm so happy, 
to merely content. I got to get out of this situation. This is terrible. In fact, according to Gallup, in 2016, 21% of millennials left their most recent job after less than a year. Now, what happens after only 11 months at a job? Well, this is kind of getting, getting hard now, right? This is getting hard, and the fun's kind of wearing off. And so we go looking for something new. But here, here's, here's the point. If we're going to live in these cities, if we're going to live in Babylon, we need to approach things with a work ethic. We need to pr- approach things with a commitment. Let's understand that something being hard doesn't make it bad. And often you get to breakthrough when you push through something being hard. And those around us shouldn't know that we're a Christian merely because we told them. They should should want to know that we're a Christian because we do something so well with such passion that the business that we build, the book that we write, the music that we create, the architecture, the everything, they're wanting to come to us. Tell us your secret. Tell us who you are. Do a seminar. Speak to our group. The way you do social media, the way you do graphic design, the way you engineer, the way you conduct yourself as a lawyer. And we're like, well, you're not, you're not going to want to know. You won't want to know. Please tell me. Well, here's the thing. Jesus died for me. He's an excellent God. And he saved me all the way. And so I live with passion fueled by my creator. And I'm, I'm a follower of Jesus of Nazareth. It's crazy. I know. He died, rose from the dead. I believe he's going to do the same for me. And that informs how I design buildings. I thought you didn't want to know. They're like, that's it. That's it. No, you wouldn't want to know. What, what, I tell you more. No, nah, no, nah, you wouldn't want to come with me to church on Sunday at 10 or 12. <laughs> but I could save you a seat. You, you see what I'm saying? But, 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 but I think uh, tragically, sometimes something being Christian means it's crappy, but with a Christian fish on it. It's bad art, but there's a verse somewhere in it, so it's got to be good somehow. But we should work hard. Second thing, jot this down. We should do good. We should do good. We should look for opportunities. He didn't just say pray for Babylon. He said, seek the favor and peace of Babylon, which means they would have to look for opportunities. Is is there something I can do to improve Babylon? We should care for the roads. We should care for government. We should care for the infrastructure. We should care for the parks. We We should care for the planning. And as we have opportunity to influence culture, as we follow Jesus, we should take it. The Jews are a tremendous example of this. They managed to retain their identity as a people without even having a nation for almost 2,000 years. And no matter where they got dispersed, through through every difficulty they, they went through, including the Holocaust, they retained their culture and customs and identity and refused to be gobbled up by a community in a melting pot. But in the same time, they took influential places and roles within the communities that they scattered to. How does that look in America today? Well, they're back in Israel in 1948, the month of May. They're back in the land of Israel, but many of the Jews are still living all over the world. And and here's the staggering thing. Less than 2% of the American population is Jewish, but a staggering amount of influential positions within our country are held by those of the Jewish background. Uh, Google Jews in Hollywood. It's unbelievable, the amount of directors and actors, the, the way they influence real estate, and Wall Street and politics because they've been scattered but retained their identity. And that's exactly what scripture says as Jesus followers we are to do. We're to hold influence by working hard and by doing good and seizing influence as we live well, but retaining our mentality of homeland, retaining the mentality of heaven, retaining the idea of the coming kingdom of God and that we would influence and be a a source of good and a source of blessing and 
if you want to know what this looks like, look at Daniel and look at Nehemiah and look at Joseph and look at Esther. Look at those who had opportunity to take positions that could do good in a city, but kept their heart on track for heaven. All right, there's a third thing. You're going to love it. Enjoy life. Enjoy life. Don't you just love the beauty of him wanting them to build a house and they could dream? What kind of house are we going to build? Enjoy life. Plan the home. Enjoy how the landscaping is going to be and where the flowers are all going to be. I just think we live in some of the best places in the world. Salt Lake City is a great city. Helena is an amazing city. Missoula, there's a big old M on the hill. You got to love Zootown. I think we ought to love Billings. It's an amazing place. It's a beautiful place. And Bozeman, are you kidding me? And Kalispell, what? Cape Town, Whitefish is extraordinary. We got Glacier Park. We got Yellowstone. We should love these places. We should love Polson. It's by the lake, yo. Jackson Hole, what? It's ridiculous. Great Falls, there's waterfalls. Lewis and Clark, we're all up in these places. We should love the places. Enjoy the art. Enjoy the beauty. Enjoy the nature. We should be the biggest fans of these places that God has called us to live. Let's get something out of it. Let's get the most of it. We could just, well, I'm going to be in heaven one day or we could enjoy, listen to me. If to God your life was worth saving, to you your life should be worth savoring. There's a fourth, and then we're done. As you live in exile, as you live out this time as a resident alien, please do be patient. You can't just love your city one time and walk away and expect it to be different. In, in, in fact, in the text, I see this, this contrast. Look, look what he says. He says in verse 5, build houses and eat the fruit. Oh, sorry. Plant gardens and eat the fruit. <laughs> plant gardens. He did say build houses too. But plant gardens, eat the fruit. One sentence. One sentence. Plant garden, eat the fruit. Doesn't it make it sound instantaneous? Yeah. Well, yeah, because you got it on Amazon Prime. That's how we approach stuff. <laughs> Plant garden, eat fruit. Plant garden, eat fruit. Plant garden, eat fruit. Listen to me. I, I planted a tree, apple tree, in my, in my garden a year ago. A whole year ago, these apple trees, I put in two of them. And um, it, it's now been more than a year, and, and there's tiny little fruit. But the, the nursery said, first year fruit, you don't even eat that. It's about second year fruit. It's about third year fruit. It's about fourth year fruit. It's not plant garden, eat fruit. It's plant garden, two years, I'm still waiting, but I look at them every day. I'm gonna eat you one day. I'm gonna eat you, I'm gonna little water on you one day. I'm gonna pick fertilizer. And a couple years later, let me tell you, cities don't get built in a day and cities won't change overnight. We can't be in this fight for just a moment. We gotta keep on believing. We gotta keep on dreaming and doing good and loving and living. We gotta be in people's lives because they're not a project, they're people. They were paid for with the blood of Jesus. He's going to build his church, and we get to be a part of it. We get to rock this city. Wow, what an incredible message. Thank you so much for joining us this week in this teaching from Fresh Life Church. If while you were watching this, you made the decision to follow Jesus, we want to say we are so excited for you. And if you'll click on the Know God tab, it will take you to a short video, and you can learn a little bit more about what it looks like to be in relationship with Jesus. We'd also love to support you in your decision and send some resources that will help you get your relationship with Christ started off on the right foot. In addition to that, 
If you've been impacted by Fresh Life Church in any way, we would love to hear about it. If you'll click on the Share Your Story tab, it will take you to a form that you can fill out letting us know what God is doing in your life. And trust me when I say this, these stories are so encouraging, not only to our staff, but to our church family. If you would like to partner with us financially and support what God is doing through this ministry, click on the Give tab and it will take you to a safe and secure giving site where you can set up a one-time or reoccurring gift so that we can continue to see those stranded in sin find life and liberty in Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for watching.